The following program was made possible by the generosity of those who have determined to hold fast to the true Roman Catholic religion, as expounded by the Roman Catholic Church before the disasters of Vatican II and the so-called New Mass. Welcome to What Catholics Believe. I'm Father William Jenkins, a priest of the Society of St. Pius V, and also the priest in charge at Immaculate Conception Church in Norwood, Ohio, a church dedicated to the practice only of the traditional Catholic religion. And I'm taking this uh, time here this evening to take a look at uh, Francis's post-Senatal Apostolic Exhortation, Amores Laetitia. Francis, as you know, <clears throat> has uh, already hosted in the Vatican two special, uh, actually one special and one ordinary synod on the question of the family, the place of the family, uh, family life in the modern church. And uh, on the Feast of St. Joseph, March 19th, of this year, 2016, Francis uh, issued a, an apostolic exhortation in which he was uh, summing up the works of the Synod and uh, giving his own personal explanation uh, and answer to the question of what the family is, what uh, marriage is in the eyes of the new church. The, uh, the apostolic exhortation uh, Amoris Laetitia is entitled that as a joy in the f joy of the f love, joy of love. It's called Amoris Laetitia, but this is what the first page of the English translation of this apostolic exhortation has for us. It says it's a post-synodal apostolic exhortation, Amoris Laetitia, of the Holy Father Francis to bishops, priests, and deacons, consecrated persons. Christian married couples and all the lay faithful on love in the family. And so that is evidently the English title that is going to be given to this document, henceforth on love in the family. Now I'd like to take a look at uh, this document of Francis because it is uh, very significant, uh, certainly very significant to him. He's devoted a great deal of time and effort to producing it. It is uh, quite an enormous document running to over 250 pages in English translation. And uh, before talking about uh, Francis's answer uh, to the Synod and on behalf of the church that he represents, I would like to read to you an excerpt from an encyclical of a Catholic Pope, uh, Pope Pius XI. This encyclical, Casti Canubi, is uh, an encyclical written by Pope Pius XI on chaste marriage, and uh, is often referred to in, uh, by the title in English as On the Holiness of Matrimony. <clears throat> this document, this encyclical, was issued by Pope Pius XI on December 31st in the year 1930. And I, I quote from the encyclical of Pope Pius XI. Let us first recall this immutable, inviolable, and fundamental truth. 
Matrimony was not instituted or established by men, but by God. Not men, but God, the author of nature, and Christ our Lord, the restorer of nature, provided marriage with its laws, confirmed it, and elevated it. And consequently, those laws can in no way be subject to human wills or to any contrary pact made even by the contracting parties themselves. This is the teaching of sacred scripture. And here we're referred to uh, the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verse 27, 28, and Genesis, chapter 2, verses 22 and 23, and also the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 19, and St. Paul's Epistle to the Ephesians. All of these testify to the fact uh, that St. Pius XI says, that matrimony was instituted by God and not by men, and is not subject to men's to men's determination to invent or reinvent matrimony, the laws themselves are set by God, as sacred scripture tells us. And to continue with the quote of St. Pius XI in Costi Canubi, it is the solemnly defined doctrine of the Council of Trent, which uses the words of Holy Scripture to proclaim and establish that the perpetual indissolubility of the marriage bond, its unity and its stability derive from God himself. But although matrimony is by nature of divine institution, yet the human will has a part, and a very noble part, to play in it. Each individual marriage, insofar as it is a conjugal union between a particular man and a particular woman, arises only out of the free consent of the two parties. And this free act by which each yields and receives the specifically marital right is so necessary for the constitution of a true marriage, that no human power can supply its place, according to the old Code of Canon Law, Canon 1081. But the only function of this human freedom is to decide that each of the contracting parties, in fact, wishes to enter the state of matrimony and to marry this particular person. The freedom of man has no power over the nature of matrimony itself, and therefore, when once a person has contracted matrimony, he becomes subject to its essential laws and properties. Hence, St. Thomas Aquinas, treating of conjugal fidelity and the procreation of children, points out that in marriage these things are implied by the matrimonial contract itself. And therefore, if anything contrary to them were expressed in the consent which makes the marriage, it would be no true marriage at all. It is thus seen that marriage, before being a union of bodies, is first and more intimately a union and harmony of minds, brought about not by any passing affection or sense of heart, but by a deliberate and resolute decision of the will, and from the cementing of minds by God's decree, there arises a sacred and inviolable bond. Now these words of the encyclical Pope Costi Canubi by Pius XI and December 31st, 1930, give us the essential teaching of the Catholic Church with regard to the bond of matrimony as being exclusive and being perpetual. The indissoluble bond of matrimony does, in fact, bind two people together in this matrimonial union for their lifetimes. And so... 
the words of the formula, the words of the marriage vows, ending with, until death do us part, must be taken literally, that they last as long as the two people both live. And so this is one of the issues that Francis is addressing in his apostolic exhortation, Amoris Laetitia. And in fact, he goes on for about 225 pages, talking about the uh, theology of, of matrimony. And sometimes he even makes some very folksy comments and maybe gives some little psychological advice that you would read in, in uh, modern advices, uh, advice given to married couples, even by secular authorities or secular writers. <clears throat> But uh, the, the issue that comes to a uh, uh, problem for us with uh, Francis's writing is that when he begins to take up about the page uh, 223 or 224, that is actually paragraph uh, 296 in his Apostolic Exhortation. So having spent a great deal of time, as you see, it's a, volume, it's a very large, large piece of writing here. Francis does get down to the question of what he calls irregular situations. And here is where he's talking about the problem posed by those, um, I would have to say, what he would consider Christians living in uh, the church would call adultery. Now, when Francis begins to address these questions of irregular situations, he actually puts the word irregular in quotation marks. And so there's something kind of irregular about using the word irregular. Although we're, we're getting now to refer to these, these um, uh, adulterous, um, adulterous unions where a man or a woman are, are living with those other than the ones they're married to, um, are only quote-unquote irregular. And so Francis, by introducing this terminology and the quotation marks over the word irregular, uh, gives us a signal of what is to come. Now, I'm not going to read to you what, uh, exactly what he says here. Uh, it goes on for about 25 pages. So about 10% of uh, the entire apostolic exhortation of Francis is devoted to this question of these quote-unquote irregular situations, as he terms them. And um, there are a number of uh, statements he makes here that are certainly very um, problematic, to say the least. Uh, we are assured by the secular press and the religious press that Francis did not change any doctrine. We're going to take a look at that question in just a minute, though. Um, just taking uh, from his writing here um, some of the essential points, so you get the, the, a bit of the flavor of his, of his words. Uh, he says here in paragraph 297 uh, that when it comes to a matter of avoiding judgments, avoiding judgments, again, we get down to this who am I to judge approach, of, uh, of the Pope of the Novus Ordo. Um, he goes on to say, it is a matter of reaching out to everyone, of needing to help each person find his or her proper way of participating in the ecclesial community uh, 
and thus to experience being touched by an unmerited, unconditional, and gratuitous mercy. Again, in the very terminology that he uses, we already find problems that don't seem to harmonize with the Catholic understanding of what the Church is and our membership in it. To, find, to help find each person uh, his proper way of participating in the ecclesial community, each person has a, a unique, proper, that means, means personal way, his own personal way of participating in the ecclesial community. Now, the normal sense of those words would be that we have to help each person find his own unique, personal way of, of being a member of the church or participating in the church. The, 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 the terms, when put together uh, in, in a Catholic sense, are meaningless. Um, they are obviously meant to be interpreted in, in, a, um, in a modernist sense rather than a Catholic sense, because in the Catholic sense they have no meaning whatsoever. And then Francis goes on to say, no one can be condemned forever because that is not the logic of the gospel. No one can be condemned forever because that is not the logic of the gospel, quote-unquote, the English translation. The logic of the gospel talks about the perpetuity of hell. Uh, so I'm not sure what he means by this condemnation. Condemnation by whom? Uh, the church is not condemning them. Uh, the church says that there are certain rules that are so serious, rules that govern the sanctity of matrimony, for example, that to violate them would lead to excommunication. That is not the same necessarily as condemning their souls to hell, however. But so why he chooses this expression, no one can be condemned forever, because that is not the logic of the gospel. I'm sorry, but what Francis says here, again, does not does not correspond to Catholic teaching. As long as one is unrepentant of sin, of serious sin, then this precludes forgiveness and pretending that all is well. Um, but Francis does not seem to acknowledge that. Uh, he goes on to say, Here I am not speaking only of the divorced and remarried, but of everyone in whatever situation they find themselves. Naturally, if someone flaunts an objective sin as if it were part of the Christian ideal or wants to impose something other than what the church teaches, he or she can in no way presume to teach or preach to others. This is a case of something which separates from the community. Now, this seems to be heading in the direction of Catholic orthodoxy. It's not actually in the sense that he's saying that one cannot teach or preach that an objective sin is according to the Christian ideal. Well, that is true insofar as it goes, but that's really not what he's talking about here. Here he's talking about allowing those who are living in adultery to come and receive their communion. Uh, it's clear, as he continues, that is actually what he's getting, getting at here. Uh, such a person, he says, needs to listen once more to the gospel message and its call to conversion. Yet, he says, even for that person, one who is trying to say that living in the state of objective, serious sin is according to the Christian ideal, as he said, even that person, he says, can be in some way uh, allowed to take part in the life of the community, 
whether in social service, prayer meetings, or another way that is his or her own initiative, together with the discernment of the parish priest, as the priest may suggest. Again, it's very, very uh, convoluted thinking and convoluted talking here. But you, as you keep reading, you see what he's getting at. As for the way of dealing with different irregular, quote-unquote, situations, the Synod Fathers preached a general consensus, which I support, that he quotes his Synod. In considering a pastoral approach towards people who have contracted a civil marriage, who are divorced and remarried, or simply living together, the Church has the responsibility of helping them understand the divine pedagogy of grace in their lives and offering them assistance so that they can reach the fullness of God's plan for them, something which is always possible by the power of the Spirit. Now, what this says and what it doesn't say, problems in both directions here. Okay, that the church has a responsibility to help them understand if they're living in, in quote unquote, an irregular situation with the church in former times would have considered to be worthy of excommunication. In the Catholic times, I should say, the Catholic church considers worthy of excommunication. Francis says the role of the church and responsibility is to help them discern how they can reach the fullness of God's plan for them. Again, it's all very subjective, all based upon the individual. The church is there merely as the helping voice, not to say this is right and this is wrong, what you're doing is objectively evil or irregular, but to help them figure it out. That is what God's plan is for them personally. The divorced who have entered a new union, for example, can find themselves in a variety of situations which should not be pigeonholed or fit into overly rigid classifications, leaving no room for a suitable personal and pastoral discernment. In other, in other words, if you can translate this English translation into English, he's saying that the divorce can find themselves into a multi multiple different range of situations and is not right to go pigeonholing them into a certain category of right or wrong, Rather, look at their personal situations, and you have to interpret their situation in a pastoral way. He likes to use the word discernment. Discernment, obviously, he's using in the sense of, well, we can do basically what we want. We, we can figure it out for ourselves, and we don't have to go according to any hard, rigid rule of right or wrong. Well, I could continue reading this. And you would just uh, get the idea more and more that uh, this is a lot of modernist jargon that he's giving us. But I, I think it's important to understand that and then to understand that he really is making a point here, albeit in a very, I think, <clears throat> deceitful way. He goes on and says here, One thing is a second union consolidated over time with new children, proven fidelity, generous self-giving, Christian commitment, a consciousness of its irregularity, and of the great difficulty of going back without feeling in conscience that one would fall into new sins. And so here he's, he's projecting this situation of a divorced and remarried person who's in this, this situation where, where he feels that if he went back to his, in other words, real marriage, that he would be committing new sins. Anyway, uh, Reading this and deciphering it would be the subject of an hour program all by itself.
Let me just uh, read for you a brief summary of what I've discerned from what he's written here. You can go and you can read it yourself. These paragraphs in his apostolic exhortation uh, are running from paragraph 296 all the way to uh, 30, let's say, a little farther than that, all the way to 312. 296 to 312, that is where he considers the question of the divorced and remarried, those who are living in adultery, or what he calls a quote-unquote irregular situation. This is my assessment uh, for what it's worth. You can go and check it yourself, as I say. On April 8th, Francis uh, actually released to the press his latest apostolic exhortation. The exhortation is dated March 19th. But in the press, it began to appear about the date, April 8th. Francis' apostolic exhortation, The Joy of Love, Amoris Laetitia, or On Love in the Family, as he calls it in English. It is his consummation of the two Vatican synods he's called to discuss what the modern church's teaching should be about marriage and family life. As expected, the long statement, 250-plus pages in English translation, has unleashed an avalanche of controversy about his real meaning as the multitude of commentators battle to spin Francis's words to suit their own positions. Such confusion is a hallmark of modernism. It is sewn into the documents of Vatican II, which in places offer statements compatible with Catholic doctrine, and then follow them up with a torrent of contradiction to render them meaningless. This deliberate, unholy confusion has the effect of disorienting the faithful and unfaithful alike, and conveys the sense that the Catholic Church doctrine itself is confused and confusing, uncertain and always open to interpretation and quote-unquote discernment, as Francis likes to call it. After devoting 225 pages to teaching about family relationships, often referring to his synods, Francis then embarks on a 23-page convoluted justification for not following and not applying the Catholic Church's teaching on the indissolubility of the marriage bond. His repeated references to irregular situations, question marks and all, give the impression that there is something irregular about calling them irregular situations. Cutting through all the twisting and worming of his convoluted arguments, what comes through is, is this point. People who are living in adultery are often innocent and in the state of God's grace. They cannot give up their adulterous situations without committing worse sins, and besides, the Church's teaching about the exclusive and perpetual nature of the marriage bond represents an ideal. But that is practically impossible for many people. Thus, those living in, quote, irregular situations, that is, adultery in the Catholic sense, should consult their pastors who will then apply to them 
and to their irregular situations, the unconditional mercy of Francis. This effectively negates Catholic doctrine on marriage. The secular and religious press have all strongly insisted that Francis had changed no doctrine about marriage. They're dead wrong. This is the exact opposite of the truth. Francis has done much more than contradict an individual doctrine of the Catholic Church. Francis has attacked all the doctrines of the Catholic Church by undermining the very meaning of the word doctrine. For what is doctrine that can be ignored, disregarded, in practice discarded, set aside, and declared irrelevant in individual cases where it doesn't apply because it's an impractical ideal? Jesus Christ set forth his apostles with the command to preach the gospel to all nations, to baptize them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, and to instruct them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. This is in St. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28. There we see the Catholic Church's doctrinal authority derives from Christ himself in matters of faith and morals, concerning belief and practice of the faith. Whence does Francis derive any authority to determine the Catholic Church's doctrinal teachings regarding marriage, I should say, undermining the Catholic Church's doctrinal teachings, for that is exactly what he does. Whence does Francis derive any authority to undermine the Catholic Church's doctrinal teachings regarding marriage by destroying the very meaning of the word doctrine? If Francis wants to reinterpret doctrine to mean a number of evolutionary positions the Church might hold with regard to belief or with regard to moral principle and moral behavior, but always subject to change and discernment in applying them to individual cases, Francis has completely done away with the whole idea of what the Catholic Church understands as doctrine. And so, in issuing this statement, this, ex this apostolic exhortation on marriage, Francis does what modernists do, and Francis is the quintessential modernist. He's like the poster child for modernism. I'm sad, sorry to say. It's true. He thinks like a modernist, he talks like a modernist, he behaves like a modernist, because he's a modernist. And modernism, according to St. Pius X, in the encyclical Pascendi Domenici Gregis on the Errors of the Modernist, does not accept the Catholic understanding of doctrine, discards the very Catholic understanding of doctrine, that it is a matter of divine teaching from God, and not just a matter devised by men, not just a rule that is subject to interpretation and application, constantly changing, because it is up to Francis and his bishops and his priests of the Novus Ordo to discern how it should be applied in each individual case. That is not doctrine, not in the eyes of the Catholic Church. Has Francis changed doctrine? Francis has not only changed the doctrines of the faith, he's completely destroyed the very idea of doctrines of faith. <laughs>